man. Man, I love you guys. Love you, baby. Um, I, uh, okay, so, so, so this is not going to feel like, for those who know me, this is not going to feel like super out of character for, for me. Uh, if you know me, I'm going to come in hot today, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, like, coming in ready to go. There's a little, little, little smoke coming out of my tires right now. Um, and roll out. <laughs> roll out. Roll out. <laughs> We're gangster like that, y'all. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm so honored and privileged to be here. I love this church. I love this church. Like, yeah, it, it, it gets me emotional thinking about it. I think about my family in, in, in San Antonio, our family in, in Guatemala. I think about our family at North Campus. I think about our family that joins us every week from all places all over the world that are part of this church, and God is working and moving and raising up leaders, people who are changing things in their sphere of influence. And I just feel very honored and privileged to be a part of that. I feel very, under, very, very privileged to be under leaders that love Jesus more than they love anything else and um, love people just the same. So I, I love you guys. I'm grateful for y'all. Yeah, I don't know why I'm emotional, y'all. This is good. Um, all right, coming in hot. Let's do this. Um, okay, so uh, I need to start out with this statement and just say that you are a leader chosen by God. You have been consecrated. Wow. Consecrated means, for those of you guys who didn't go to Bible school <laughs> and, or have, didn't grow up as a church kid, consecrated means um, holy, set apart. And it's not shoreline city um, dogma or, ju- or jargon or, or rhetoric. It's actually straight from the Word of God. First uh, yeah. Peter, uh, Peter 2.9 says, but you are not like that. For you are a chosen people, a royal, royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Okay, so that, that's not my message at all. I'm actually going to be talking about out of the book of Judges and out of the book of Samuel. Um, and it's about, to, I'm going to call this message um, Lessons from Two Guys Named Sam. Okay, um, the, uh, the, the, we're going to talk about the, the, the judge, Samuel. Um, he's like Chris Hemsworth, you know, like, he, I, I feel like, though, my honest opinion is I bet Chris Hemsworth is nicer than Samuel. Like, I, I mean, sorry, than Samson. I feel like Samson was not the nicest person. I feel like he's kind of arrogant, kind of full of himself, and just incredibly gifted. Everything he does is awesome, everything. I mean, literally, he's good at everything he does. He gets everything he wants. He's the head of his class. He's the best looking. He's the strongest person in his country. Uh, really, probably, possibly in the world. I mean, the known world at that time. Um, he was undefeated in every single thing he did. Um, and then we're also going to be talking about the prophet Samuel. Um, both were around around the same time. Um, in the same season of the nation of Israel, actually, uh, Samuel kind of ushered in a new season where he actually anointed the first king of Israel, um, whereas uh, before that, the, 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 the nation had been led by prophets and by judges. So that was kind of the, the, the government, so to speak, the governance at that time. So we're talking about two leaders, we're talking about two, two men that are chosen, and one of the most interesting things about both these men that I loved, I thought was so cool, is that um, they're both, they're both people who took the Nazarite vow. Yeah. Both of them. So what does that mean? 
What does that mean? Nazarite vow. Not Nazarene, not from Nazareth like Jesus. This is a, a vow that was a part of the Old Testament, I think even carried on into the New Testament. And this vow was really had three parts. The, the first part was you can't drink anything. Like, like you can drink water, but you can't drink like anything alcoholic. Um, you, you can, I, I guess coffee's fine. Um, but um, you can't uh, be around any dead human. I say human because they were all about sacrificing animals, and that was fine. So um, you can't be around any dead human ever. Like, you can't go to a funeral. You can't, like, um, you can't touch something that's undead. You can't be around somebody who's touched something that was dead. Um, it was very, so, and then the last one is you can't cut your hair. So um, normally, to give a little bit of, like, context around this, normally a Nazarite vow was taken in the, 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 the it was temporary. So the time period would be normally about one to two years, sometimes even less. It was normally connected to like, okay, I just had a baby, and so I want to like consecrate this baby to the Lord. So you take a vow, and uh, that woman might take a vow, and she would yeah. like need to decide, I'm not going to drink wine, I'm not going to be around dead things, and I'm not yeah. going to cut my hair for the next two years, right? That, that was kind of like, she would take that vow, and then maybe if you're going into a new season of life, you're starting a business, you would take a, a Nazarite vow for one to two years. Yeah. Very, very, very abnormal for... Um, a person to be uh, basically ushered into a Nazarite vow even before they were born. Both Samson and, and, and Samuel, um, God actually told them they would take the vow. It wasn't like even they had a choice. And he told their parents, hey, these guys can't touch wine, can't cut their hair, can't be around dead things for the rest of their lives. That's, that, that's their story. So the interesting thing about this is both of them destined to lead their country. Both of them had incredible giftings and talents on them. Both of them literally had a seemingly superpowers on their lives, yeah. right? But they both responded to that calling, to that consecration, to that vow very, very differently. Wow. Okay. So I want to talk about lessons from these two guys' lives. Um, first of all, like this Nazarite vow, when, we, um, when Jesus takes over our lives, um, the Bible says we're bought with a price. Yeah. The Bible says we are chosen. The Bible says we are set apart. This verse we just read talks as being a royal priesthood, wow. chosen, holy. Like we are, we are like taken out. And maybe in some ways you could almost feel like above and beyond our choice. Like we yeah. say yes to Jesus and he takes over. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's right. So one thing I saw and I was very convicted by with Samuel, I mean, sorry, with Samson, I'm going I'm to do that a lot here, Samson, um, is that Samson um, treated his response to his vow, his response to his calling, his response to his consecration was to have an attitude of obligation. I'll keep through, I'm going to have long hair. I'm not going to touch wine. I'm not going to be around dead things. But man... I ain't staying in the church. Like, are you joking? Like, I'm going to Philistia. The, the Philistia. Yeah. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to yeah. find me some women that, like, honestly know how to have a good time. These church girls, I don't know what they're doing, but they're not having a great time. And so I'm going I'm I'm to go find me some women that, like, know how to good, have a good time. And it's like he lived this incredibly, like, decadent life while out of obligation keeping his vow to God. He technically obeyed God. He technically operated his gifting and his calling. He technically stepped into something um, like that, that no one else had ever done before. I mean, he literally ruled the entire nation with his physical strength. Wow. He was unbeatable. But yet his posture towards that vow, his posture towards that sense of being set apart, called holy, 
called, um, special, gifted, and talented. His posture was one of obligation. Samuel, um, same, same. Interestingly enough, one thing I think about Samuel when I think about him is that um, a lot of his early childhood and, and, and like um, his like development, even into his teen years, he did not know why his, he had to be different. He had no idea. Like, like Samson, you, you're a little baby, you're walking around with like massive boulders on your shoulder. And like, 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 <laughs> like you kind of figured out pretty quick, like I, I'm strong, I'm strong. Um, but Samuel uh, didn't know there was not even a place for his gifting at the time. Because at this time, the Bible says that, um, that God had not spoken to Israel in many, many, many years. So his gifting of pro- prophecy, his gifting of hearing, literally prophecy is the ability to hear the voice of God and to speak that into other people's lives. So, so his, his gifting, that the God, what God was going to use for him to lead, um, there wasn't even a place for it. So he serves in the temple. He serves in the, the, I guess in that time it was called the tabernacle. Um, And he serves under his leader, Eli, who was the priest at that time. And these are some of the things that I saw. Um, He he served not knowing what was in him. He served not knowing what was uh, going to be his destiny, that he was going to anoint kings, that he was actually going to lead Israel himself for about 40 years. He, 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 He served not knowing what his impact was going to be. His first response to this calling from a very young age was to serve. That was his first response to like, I'm holy, I'm consecrated, I have gifts on the inside of me, God's going to use me to lead. My, his first response was, wow. I better serve. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Another thing that I saw him doing is that he stayed close to the presence of God. It says that he grew up and where his bed was in the tabernacle was literally as close as humanly possible Man. to the Ark of the Covenant. Man. Said that he slept close to the Ark of the Covenant. You couldn't go in the room with the Ark of the Covenant because that was literally like the same as death. You would be killed if you were in the in the presence. That's where literally was the representation to the people of Israel of the presence of God was that Ark. So he slept as closely. He stayed as close as he possibly could day and night to the presence of God. The Bible says he literally grew up in the presence of God. He emulated what he saw his leaders doing. I think this is really really cool. Um, I like this. It said that, okay, so he's not a Levite, right? So and it, for those of you guys who know what that means, there was, a holy, there, was a, there was a tribe in Israel that was actually literally set apart and designated to be um, priests in Israel. That was their job. That was, everybody in that family was part of that job, had that job. Uh, he wasn't a Levite. Um, he was from another tribe. I think he was from Dan, if I'm not mistaken. And he, um, he though he dressed like a priest, and I love that. He said every single year, his mom would bring him a new outfit to look like the job that he was called to do. He emulated the person that he was following every single day, Eli. Eli, wow. Eli is up, gets up in the morning, puts on his white robe that is that of a priest, put on this vest, special vest that says this is my role to lead our country uh, and, and leading him towards the presence and, and, and the voice of God. And, and Samuel's like, well, if you're doing it, I'm going to do it. So he put on the same thing. He's not even a priest. He puts on the same clothes as his leader, and he does the same things he sees his leader doing. Every single, he emulated the people in front of him, the people who were doing what he was called to do. The last thing was he understand that he understood that his gifting was not for himself, but instead was for his people. 
I love that when the first moment he has the first, I mean, God, God like likes to baptize us with fire. Just so you guys know, we are uh, Holy Spirit uh, kind of tongues talking people, and God starts young. He gets us right in the middle. Sometimes our very first decision we have to make as a believer, some of our hardest decisions. Um, he uh, his first word for God, from God for his people was one of the hardest things he could possibly tell. It's like he had to go to his leader and say, God's not only going to kill you, he's going to kill your sons, and you guys will never be blessed. Your family for the rest of history will never be blessed as your ancestors were. That was his first word. The first word from God was one of the hardest, and there was this sense where he kept his mouth shut because he knew about what that word was going to, how that word was going to impact not only Israel, but his leader. There's a sense that he realizes he's not getting up in the morning and being like, yay, 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 I'm better than everybody else. God speaks to me. Look at me, look at me, look at me. He's, his first uh, response is, how is this word going to affect the people in my life? Yeah. It, it immediately was about the other people. It was immediately about how it was going to affect his nation and his country and his leader. It, it, his immediate response was, it's not about me, it's about others. I love this because um, that was literally the opposite of Samson. Samson, his entire life, made it about him. His entire life. His last act, his greatest act, is he pulls this, this pagan temple down upon all these pagan, like, Philistines, and, and they all die in this. I think there's several thousand people died in that moment. It was like his greatest act, and his prayer to God in that moment was, God, help me avenge what they've done to me. Not help me avenge what they've done to your people. Not help me avenge what they've done to your name. Not how they've dishonored you. Not how they've stood up in arrogance against you. His, his last words, his last prayer was still like, they poked my eyes out, they took me, they shamed me, they humiliated me. Help me avenge that wrong. It was always about him the entire time. Every act he did in his calling and in his gifting was always about him. This is the posture of someone who leads out of obligation. This is the posture of someone who leads because they feel like they have no other choice. Well, I'm a believer. I guess I got to go to church. Well, I'm a believer. I guess I got to be on serve team. Well, I'm a believer. I guess I got to lead a connect group. I mean, I guess, I mean, yeah, this person, I have a truck, so I need to help these people move. I mean, I guess I have to. But where's the honor? It's all obligation. Are you obligated to serve on Sunday? Are you obligated to call a person in the lobby that you got their number? Are you, obli are you obligated to host a siege, uh, connect group? Are you, are you obligated to speak life into your coworker? Or is it an honor to step out of your comfort zone up to somebody in the lobby and make them feel at home? Is it an honor for you to send a meal to someone who's lost a loved one? Is it our honor to guard our hearts against offense and protect unity? Or is it our obligation? Is it our privilege to, to, is it our privilege and so far above our pay grade to get to count the number of hands that go up every service? That have made Jesus first in their lives. It is my honor to help somebody move. It is my honor to call out leadership gifting on the inside of somebody else. And I just want to challenge you today, as, as God has been challenging me, is um, you are consecrated, you are set apart, you are not your own, you are holy. You have superpowers, you have giftings on the inside of you that God wants to use to set people free. Do you operate in those things out of obligation or out of honor? I love you guys so much. It's such an honor to get to be here. Love you guys.